Welcome to part two of our Australian Open coverage uh, going into the semifinals here. Again, uh, if you're tuning in, my name's Ian. And my name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. Say there are moments when he switched off and he switched off the net, but then he produces a shot like that. Outrageous eat by his dance. All right, so uh, we split this one up. We covered the women's semifinals and the quarterfinal recap in the last episode. Um, the men's matches are going to be starting tomorrow evening, so we want to talk a little bit about those semifinals. Uh, but first, um, we've had a couple comments about the hats that we're wearing. So um, we're officially calling this new segment, uh, What Hat Are You Wearing? Uh, so Tony, tell us about your hat. Um, today I've got on, I'm going to try to not repeat hats as best as possible because I've got like a ridiculous amount of hats. Um, Same. Yeah, nice. Uh, so this <laughs> is a Supreme MC Escher hat that I bought I think I was sneaker shopping at a like a sneaker, you know, resale store riff down in uh, Santa Ana and uh saw it and I was like, "Ooh, what is that? I like the color." Looked at the designs and I was like, "I'm I'm in." Picked it up for like 30 bucks or something like that. Yeah, no, it's a good-looking hat. I I knew I recognized the artwork. I I love MC Escher. Um yeah. so yeah, awesome. Nice. I um I'm wearing a uh, Casa Blanca hat. This was um purchase a gift courtesy of my girlfriend. I could never afford this myself. So, um, <laughs> great gift. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it fun for anybody tuning in on, uh, Instagram reels or YouTube clips and stuff. Uh, we'll be rotating our hats. I too have a closet filled with hats. Um, I'm starting to get a one in one out policy because I just have way too many. Yeah, yeah, I'm like typically, well, as I've said before, my day-to-day, I'm like pretty much always on a tennis court if I'm not coaching or I'm just playing and I'm always in a hat and like outside of tennis, I honestly don't do too much. I don't go to fancy dinners or anything like that. So usually off court, I'm wearing a hat too. So uh, yeah, going to try to keep the streak going of not repeating and we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully we'll get people to send us some hats and then we can showcase them on each episode and talk about them. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I did have um, an interesting interaction, little sidebar with uh pit Viper, uh, Australia. They, uh, what's I, that pit Viper sunglasses, uh, okay. like very just, uh, more Max Purcell activities basically. Uh, so commented on something and I was like, Oh, you know, those glasses. And like, they commented back where like, we are 69% sure that we know someone that you can talk to about that. You know, it's like, wow, <laughs> nice. Okay. okay. So uh, maybe some sunglasses coming soon. We'll see. But that was just kind of like, wow, that's uh, nice. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's dive into the men's semifinals. I'm really excited. Uh, I, there was a lot to cover in the last episode. We, we covered a lot of um, some of the other news on the tour and, um, obviously went through our picks and everything like that for the women's side. Um, this one, uh, a lot to dig into between these two matches. And I just wanted to pose the question to you, looking at the field of players going into this tournament, is this a men's, uh, semifinal, uh, dream scenario in terms of drama storyline and the players that are left? I know there might be players that you like more that you'd want to see there, but in terms of the storyline and the drama, is this a dream semifinal? If okay, so one semi, Sinner Novak for sure. This is awesome. This is kind of like the matchup we've been wanting to see again over the best of five sets, especially the way that the last season finished, where it feels like Novak and Sinner played like three times in three weeks. You know, between Davis Cup, you know, the ATV Finals, and the Paris Masters. So, uh, and those were all great matches. So. That side, yes. The other side, if it was, if it was anyone other than Medvedev and Zverev, because they've got beef. If it was anything other than that, I would say probably a disappointment. But because I'm, you know, both of us are kind of really tuned into the ongoings of the tour, 
it's not bad. I know a lot of people are going to be upset Zverev's involved, that he made it, that he beat Carlos, and now we don't get a Carlos, you know, Novak final or a Carlos Yannick final, whatever. But because there's quite a bit of history to dig into, pretty good, actually. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a couple ways of looking at it because you're starting to formulate, you know, who what the matchup could look like in the final. Um, and there is the potential that it's not that exciting, right? Maybe not the, right. the most exciting possibility as far as the final goes. But just looking at the semifinals matches, um, yeah, I feel, I mean, I'm really, really excited for both of them. And we can dive into both of them here and talk about some of the... Uh, uh, key points of it. Um, I mean, if you want, let's just start with Djokovic and Sinner. That's going to be the first match on. Um, Novak leads that head-to-head four to two. Um, but surprised to see this is their first time meeting on an outdoor hard court. Did you know that? Because when did they play? It was Wimbledon. Wait, you're they t- played in general. Uh, over Whoa. the, uh, they've never played outdoor hard court against one another. They've played against each other back-to-back years in Wimbledon. Um, I'll I'll pull it up. Um, And indoor hardcore. But they've, yes, but they have never played each other uh, outdoors on a hardcore before. Whoa. And, you know, I mean, we'll get into our picks and stuff, but I think indoors would favor Sinner just because of, like, the margins that he kind of goes for, you know, kind of operating in a vacuum, no wind, no sun, just going big. Um, ooh, that's interesting. So Monte Carlo, uh, on clay, obviously that was their first match against one another back to back years, playing each other in Wimbledon. And then you have the Nitto ATP finals in the Davis cup. And, uh, they played each other twice in the ATP finals. Uh, this is just this past year. So yep. three indoor hard courts there. So the first time that they've ever played each other outdoors on a hard court. Wow. Wow. What a stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, that's an interesting piece of it. Um, I also think one other thing to talk about here is it it wasn't brought up at all in any of the interviews that I've seen, but Sinner was dealing with a bit of an abdominal issue. It seemed like against, uh, against Rublev, he was kind of clutching, uh, his abdomen, but nothing ever, he played, he finished the match fine. There wasn't, I don't know that I heard any questions get asked about that. I don't know if you, you saw anything, but that's it's no. kind of something to look out for. I, I saw your note about it and I looked back and I, I saw it and yeah, you're right. There hasn't been anything, which I don't know. I mean, it, it almost always kind of feels that way with Sinner, at least back in the past where it's like, Oh, he looks good. And then all of a sudden oh, I'm injured. I got to pull out. And it's like, you know, fingers crossed, nothing like that happens to where we get just a straight up quality match without any issues. Like, for example, uh, Miami, he plays that great match against Carlos final against Medvedev. And it's like, oh, he's sick. And it's just like, oh, like, yeah. man, like kind of get robbed of a great match. So fingers crossed. That's all good. But yes, you're right. I, I haven't seen any chatter about it. Did pick up on it. But hopefully it's just nothing. Yeah. Well, what are your keys to that match? I mean, we can make our picks. Um, I think it's going to be a great match. We're getting both um, of them. So this is one of those where it's like, you know, this is what we've been. This is a dream matchup where it's like, all right, we're we're sinners, a player kind of going into the narrative things that each year he's kind of incrementally gotten better it hasn't there hasn't been a huge leap he hasn't won a slam or last year was his first uh 1000 level win uh in toronto i think it was and it's like okay that's a big achievement but obviously he's somebody that we look at where it's like okay you could you could probably win a slam and um yeah for the past couple years it's been like why is he underperforming but when you look at it each year he's improved upon the last year um this is potentially his moment this is his moment to to prove it i'm here now kind of like carlos last year at wimbledon obviously this isn't the final it's not the same but it's just like all right you have an opportunity to take down novak on his courts um can he do it potentially do i expect him to do it i've got novak in this one i uh, mm. i think it's and and it's it's maybe the point when we I know when you look at like Grand Slam dominance, Rafa's kind of the standard of like okay what he's done at Roland Garros, 
But is it time to start considering, you know, Djokovic's achievements if he wins this one as just as dominant as Rafa at Roland Garros? Maybe not the same, but it's it's incredible what he's been doing in Australia, um, despite, you know, injuries or being held out a year because of, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, yeah, I, I kind of it's going to be one of those situations where I think Novak brings out the best level in center makes him a better player, but still leaves with the win. I, I, I think it goes five sets, and uh, Novak takes it. I hope it goes five sets. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for all of us, I hope it goes yes. five sets. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I, I want to pick Sinner. I, I really do. Um, I still think it's going to be Djokovic in five, though. Um, it, it, until, it, until we see Sinner... Um, I mean, it, five sets is just different. They've played each other in best of three um, on hard courts before. They have not played each other in best of five on a hard court. This is uh, Novak's turf, and until um, somebody can prove otherwise, um, I think you just kind of have to go with the statistics here, and uh, I'm with you. I think Djokovic pulls through in five in that one. Yeah, and we haven't mentioned it yet because it's, it's still a long way to go, but something that Novak's put out there is the the Golden Slam. This is kind of what what he's going for this year. So going back to what we said a few episodes again about how locked in he was against Manorino, and I kind of thought like, wow, you know, what's he doing? He's up, you know, he's won nine games to love. Like, why is he so intense? Then I thought about it. It's like, you know what? He's he's chasing a Golden Slam. He's got to be locked in like this. So Mm -hmm. um, we'll see how this turns out, but... If he wins it, I think it's in the conversation. What's scarier, Djokovic losing and not having to worry about the Golden Slam for the rest of the year, but so maybe he plays a little bit more loose, (laughs) or Djokovic winning and the rest of the year, the conversation being about his drive to get the Golden Slam again? What's a scarier version of Djokovic, you think? Man... Because we went through that before, right? And not that long ago. Because he right. he did it. He won. He won. You know, Australia and French, and then the Olympics didn't go how he planned on it. Um, then obviously Medvedev gets his slam at the U.S. Open. Um, it might. No, I think it's scarier if he's on it because I kind of think <laughs> that if he loses and isn't exactly chasing that anymore, what you know, he already has a slam record. And I mean, for sure, he's always pushing himself to try to drive drive the line even further. But I think something like this is really what he's, you know, locked in for and what he's trying to do. Um, I think it's scarier if he wins. Yeah. Yeah. What we'll do you see. Think? I'm, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a scary guy in general. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I, I, I could... You know, I could see it either way, but um, yeah, that year that he won the first three slams um, and then was going into the U.S. Open and the pressure that he put on himself, it kind of took over the story of the entire year. And um, yeah, I mean, he was he was on a mission and yeah, uh, he, uh, that's probably the scarier version of him. You're probably right. Yeah. Was that final against Medvedev in straight sets? Did he win a set? Uh, I I I think so. It was I know it was very uncharacteristic. Um, right, a little strange. He was off, a little low energy. Cried if, it match. sounds right. It's three sets, but uh, straight sets. But I'd have to look it up. I, I can't remember. Right, right. All right. So that brings us to the other match, the one that's going to uh, come right after, which is Medvedev versus Zverev. Now. Um, I don't know which one I'm more excited for, if I'm being honest. Um, they both have very unique storylines with Djokovic and Sinner. You're just you're getting me to be the greatest of all time, um, playing Sinner, who is looking all the bit like somebody who can contend for a Grand Slam. So we might be catching two of the best players on the planet at their peak right now. Um, with Medvedev and Zverev, the storyline for this one for me really just comes from the history and the bad blood between the two of them. 
So uh, Medvedev leads the head-to-head 11-7. to uh, He's won five of the last six. And we know um, some of those wins happened over the course of the rehab for Zverev after his, uh, his, his ankle injury and his surgery. Um, but Medvedev's really owned him uh, recently. Uh, and surprised to see out of the 18 times that they've played each other, um, did you see this is the first time that they're meeting at a Grand Slam? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm blowing your mind today with some Dude, of these stats. You're coming with some <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, wow. Okay, that's a different. Actually, that's kind of good because I know some people are going to be like, "Oh, these two again," but we haven't seen it in this format. Then, then, okay, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So, um, a lot going into this match. Um, we can make our picks now, and then um, there's a lot more to talk about with this one, though. And and to me, the the conversation for this, the bad blood, was really um, emphasized in Breakpoint, which we both just went back today and watched that episode, and uh, made sure that um, you know we we had all of that in the back of our minds talking about this matchup. Um, but just to uh, before we segue into that conversation, um, who do you like in this one, Medvedev or Zverev, or any other key points to this matchup that you're going to be looking for? Um, I like Medvedev here. I think, I mean, obviously Zverev found something different than what we saw in the other rounds. Can he keep it up and serve how he did? Uh, he'll ha- if he does, he'll have a great shot at winning this match because. As far you know, as deep as this run has gone for Medvedev, I don't think there's been one match where I'm like, "Oh, he looks great." Like every match, there's been flashes of brilliance, but a lot of it has just been finding enough to win on that day and just advancing. Um, I think a little bit of the mental factor is going to come, is going to play its part in this match, uh, and that kind of you know can go into the breakpoint stuff. But like, I think Medvedev owns a little bit of real estate in Sasha's mind. Uh, just there's, there's a lot. Um, I like Medvedev in four because I don't think he's going to play great. Nothing leads me to believe that he's just going to be lights out. Maybe he is, but I think, uh, Sasha's had a, a long road. Uh, Med is going to put a lot of balls in play. He's going to return a bunch of serves and, uh, mad scientist. He's going to try a bunch of different stuff, whether it's, you know, extended you know bathroom breaks or what whatever it is he's gonna throw everything at whatever it takes exactly so (laughs) i I like medvedev here probably four sets gotcha well i i can see it going either way but um for me having watched how zverev picked apart alcarez uh he's playing some of the best tennis i've ever seen him play um i hate to make the pick because i love medvedev so much but i do think this is Zverev's moment to to take it from from Medvedev. I think Zverev's going to win in four. It could go five. I'm going to say four. Um, he just played so well in the last round, and Medvedev has just put so much time on court. He's had some really brutal matches, and the last couple, um, I think you started to see that just just a little bit, enough to make you wonder how long can he keep that going for, especially in a match that is probably bound to get a little heated. Maybe, um, maybe he is there. There's going to be some mental tactics going on there. Um, and I don't know if Medvedev's going to have the energy to get all the way through that. So I'm going to pick Zverev in this one as much as I don't want to see that. And I want to emphasize <laughs> the word don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the Netflix producers, this is a dream scenario for them. Um, they spent that episode, an episode uh, highlighting the Medvedev and Zverev rivalry. Um, and I want to talk a little, we talked about Breakpoint in one of the last episodes as well. Um, you and I have kind of been going through season two. Um, and we went back and we watched the episode uh, that emphasizes their rivalry. So um, I've got my notes here. Um, what were your initial thoughts on that episode? Um, great intro, actually. I was pulled in, even though I'm not particularly, which we'll get into, a, a fan of Zverev. But just this storyline of like, I, I kind of forgot he was one match away from being number one in the world. Yeah. Which um, 
to me is always kind of like a weird thing where it's like, okay, you're number one, but like never won a slam. Just kind of funny how that, that works out. Uh, but yeah, he was on the cusp of it, was playing incredible, was taking it to Rafa, then obviously has the injury and, you know, start like that, start with like the rehab and the comeback and just his reaction sitting in front of the doctor. Will I ever be able to move the same? Will I be able to play the same again? Which personally, as I said, I've had a, a wrist surgery in February and I, I kind of, not as dramatic, but I kind of felt the same way where I'm like, man, like, am I going to get to play tennis still? Like, am I going to be able to play well? Can I, you know, be able to hit you know, topspin forehands? So uh, that was a great intro to the episode. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led into, you know, the comeback. And um, I thought that was good. I thought it was weird that basically that led straight into like, all right, we have a rivalry between, you know, him and him and Medvedev and how that went into Monte Carlo, because that's that's not exactly how the season went. They, you know, Mm -hmm. Sasha came back in the Australian Open and they had a pretty dramatic match in March at Indian Wells in the fourth round, um, which I was actually at that match. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, where Med was kind of doing the same stuff, complaining about this is, you know, the all-time quote of like, I'm uh, going to go pee as slow as this court. I'm going to take my time and all of that nonsense (laughs) of like, this is not a hard court. I'm a hard court specialist. I should know. All of this was happening during that match. Yeah. And Sasha was kind of laughing about it. And after they shook hands and it was all in good spirits, Sasha had 10 break points in the second set didn't get any of them, allows Medvedev to come back. Um, So they had compelling matches and high drama situations earlier in the season, but for whatever reason, they highlight Monte Carlo, which I guess is fine. It's a nice... I I did... I was kind of happy that it's like, oh, they highlighted this tournament. It's always like a really cool thing to see, Mm -hmm. even though we didn't get to see too much of it. Um, But yeah, the, the things that they went into of like, you know, he's gonna do anything to win this match, which actually is fair. And Mm -hmm. Medvedev himself has said like, yeah, I do stuff sometimes. And it's like, you know, he's pretty self-aware about it, which is fine. The whole thing with the knocking over the, the single stick and how it's like, he did that. And they're like, Oh my God. I was kind of like, dude, come on. Like, (laughs) it's not, that's nothing like that's. (laughs) And like, just how they introed Medvedev where it's like, Oh, sometimes he's going to do stuff that's dirty. And like the first thing they show is underarm serve. Yeah. (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah totally legal not inflammatory in any way yeah (laughs) exactly underarm serve cut to him kicking the camera which is like another all-time thing cut to yelling at the umpire about you know Sitsipas's dad the small cat thing yeah so it's like all right you know you got to create your story somewhere um heavily omitted where also in the beginning of the episode it's like oh this is uh, Zverev speaking. Last year, you picked the wrong people to follow because I'm I'm all drama or something like that. That probably would have been the time to cut to him annihilating the, the chair umpire with his racket. Um, yep. That would have been the time for that if you were going to include it, but they chose to not do that. And they, you know, they do show him quite a few other significant things that are you know pretty prominent in his story. Yeah. So I don't know what what are your thoughts on the episode. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with the fact that I actually think it was one of the better episodes um, in terms of storytelling and in terms of the actual story, right? If you're going to omit some information, which we'll get into, um, and just focus on the injury and the comeback, um, it's it's extremely compelling. Um, They decided they were going to craft a story that was going to sympathize for what he went through there. you know, on the brink of making a Roland Garros final, on the brink of making um, achieving world number one, uh, he has that you know horrific injury, um, and they decided that they were going to build a story around sympathy and his comeback. They show the charitable side uh, of him. He has a foundation that um, supports diabetes. Um, as somebody who's diabetic himself, um, and I thought I thought it was a really well told story. I don't like. The fact that they also decided that for the sake of this episode, Daniil is the bad guy. And, um, you know, he's he's a he's a goofy guy. There are people who think that he's a little too much um, and he admits it 
he, he openly says sometimes, oh, you know, I went too far with the U S open crowd, you know, and, um, he walks it back every once in a while, but exactly. <laughs> um, but to call him a bad guy, I mean, you know, to, to kind of paint him in that light to, they, they kind of made it seem like Daniil doesn't win on the merits of his tennis and they cut to, you know, they have, uh, Zverev narrating and he's, he's saying how, uh, oh, I prefer to win on, on the court on, uh, you know, playing tennis. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like, wow. Okay. You know, cause he kind of has your number <laughs> regardless of uh, the antics or whatever is getting in your head. Like, so yeah, I thought it was strange that they kind of made it seem like he doesn't win on the merits of his tennis. There are some other, um, editing issues that I have with it. And we've talked about editing issues, but they, they show Daniil run to the bathroom, but they have the, um, the chair umpire announcing that it's, uh, that Zverev is going to serve for the match that actually happened at three, three in the final yes. set. The rest of the set actually plays out with almost no drama. And it goes into a tie break and Medvedev wins on the merits of his tennis, not yes. because he went to the bathroom. So the, built that episode in a way again, and they edited it in a way where they made it seem like Daniil's bathroom break was the reason that Zverev had the mental collapse and that Daniil wouldn't have won. Had he not done that? Not true. Don't like that. They painted Daniil in, uh, in a bad light. Um, and then they end it after that. Actually, they don't even go any further uh, with Monte Carlo. They cut to um, Tiafo, uh, a, a match against Tiafo, and he wins the third round. But they kind of celebrate and music plays as if he just won the final, <laughs> and he didn't. Um, and then they cut to him winning uh, the the title in Hamburg in his hometown. So kind of strange editing there. Those are the editing issues that I had with it. Um, I actually do think that the story that they crafted was a, was a good one though. And and if you're to, you know, ignore some of the other background noise with Zverev and just focus on what he's gone through as a player and you appreciate his game as a tennis player, um, it's very compelling and it's easy to get behind him and get behind uh, his comeback story. And you might even be looking at this Australian open and saying, wouldn't it be amazing if he can get to this final or he can potentially win it, what that would mean for, you know, closing the loop on this storyline for him. The problem is, as you know, uh, Netflix chose to, in making him look like this uh, saint of a tennis player and ha- and having you commiserate for his, his injury, completely omitted the fact that he has a black cloud hanging over his career. Um which is a choice, uh, <laughs> one that uh, I think is it's a choice. It, it it's a it's a bad it's a bad look. I, I would hate to be somebody who watched that episode, maybe new to tennis. This is the the audience that they're appealing to, as we've talked about. I would hate to be somebody who watched that, became a fan, and then find out the domestic abuse uh, allegations that he has against him because you know, a little bit of a fallen hero moment for somebody maybe. And you might be disappointed that Netflix decided not to talk about that, not just decided not to talk about it, but decided to make him look like a saint, you know, to, to make you sympathize for him. Um, so that is a glaring omission for me, um, in an episode that otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's an amazing tennis player and, and it is an amazing story and an amazing comeback story, but, um, huge issue that they omitted that piece of it for me. Yeah. And I, I go straight to thinking of some of my students, for example, my, my group, the tennis moms who come in and, you know, are really excited about the show They're I'm probably going to see them on Friday and we'll see how this match comes out, but I'm fully expecting them to be like, Hey, you know, Sparrow's back. He made it, you know, cause they would have no idea about everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yep, that's going to be a, a tough conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is definitely very odd because they, they certainly made him the, the moral high character of that episode mm-hmm. and that story arc, which, all right, sure, fine, he's he's your featured player. But when you go back to season one, uh, they featured Nick Kyrgios. They didn't get too deep into it, but they did acknowledge because he had mm-hmm. very similar allegations against him that I believe never went to court, was just kind of settled. Um but yeah, it it was mentioned and, you know, they kind of moved on with the episode. So I don't know why they wouldn't do the same thing here if it was just like Netflix is just grateful for the access to this player and, okay, we're just going to do this episode and see it through. But yeah, that's um, 
that's been kind of like a glaring cloud over the entire tournament in a way because he's mm-hmm. been being asked about it at press conferences and he's been pretty smug about the answers and not exactly wanting to honor the conversation or even just, you know, kind of like sort of a thing of like, why are you even asking me this question? So, um, and I thought it was something that, okay, whatever, you know, it's going to go away, but he's made it to the semifinals. There's almost no ignoring it now. And I mean, he might, he might make the final. So what do we do if he makes the final and for example, wins the tournament? What, what is that? So here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, just for everybody that's listening and um, Tony and I, we've talked about this a little bit, but we have not had a conversation about how the two of us wanted to go forward with this. Really. We, we both have our opinions and we're kind of um, putting that out there here in this episode. We, we, we don't want to avoid any, any conversations in the tennis world. We think it's an important conversation to have. Um, but on Instagram, it's always a little bit easier to, uh, craft how I want to approach things because I have the time in the world to type it up and really think over my, my choice of words. And, um, before I post it, I can, I can make sure that I'm, 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 it's coming out the way that I want it to. And here it's coming out a little bit more organically. We, you know, I, I do have notes for myself that I, I typed up here, but, um, I don't take this lightly at all. Like I, I really spend a lot of time thinking about how, you know, the notes that I wrote here, um, for anybody not familiar with the situation, I, I don't, I don't know how you, you couldn't have heard it, but maybe it's the fact that people aren't talking about it, such as Netflix or ESPN. Um, but it, the first allegations came a few years ago um, for physical and mental abuse, uh, an article that was written by Ben Rothenberg, um, one of his ex-girlfriends, Olya Sharapova. Um, she did not press charges. Uh, the ATP did investigate it. Um, it took over a year for them. They were very quiet about it, but they couldn't substantiate the claims. Um in between that and the next allegation, the ATP had announced that they were going to be um, uh, discussing a uh, domestic violence policy. Um, the second allegation then comes out um, sometime within the last year. Uh, the second allegation comes from another one of his ex-girlfriends and the mother of his child. Her name's Brenda uh, Patia. And same, you know, similar type of accusation accused him of uh, physical abuse and, you know, having gotten into verbal arguments and, that led to a penalty order in Germany. That's something that um, is unique to German law. Uh, basically, a penalty order is uh, can be issued by a court if they feel like there's enough uh, evidence there that it doesn't need to go to a trial, and then they issue a fine. Uh, and Zverev was ordered to pay over four hundred thousand dollars or four hundred and fifty euros. I, I can't remember uh, four hundred fifty thousand euros. I can't remember the exact number. Um, but he appealed it, you know, obviously he maintains his innocence. He appealed it. Um, and they officially just within the last few weeks announced that that's going to be going to trial. Um, and that's going to be happening towards the end of May. So we're going to be seeing this kind of play out in real time. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's awkward. It's like, you know, you have a situation here where, like you said, he could win the Australian open or he could make the final. I'm so, I I just don't talk about him on my Instagram and, and this is, really the only thing that you and I have talked about is like, I just don't post about him, right? He won his match against Nori. We, we you know, we talked about it here. Um, outside of that, I'm not celebrating his wins. I'm not cheering for him. I kind of go out of my way not to watch his matches unless, you know, lo and behold, you're in a semifinal and I, and I, I want to watch the match and I want to see how this tournament plays out, but I just choose to not cheer for him. It's that easy for me. It's not a hard decision. He has allegations against him. There's a thousand other players that don't. I'm watching somebody else. So, and I, and then I just, you know, and I don't, I don't post and I don't talk about it. And I'm also not saying that he's innocent or guilty because none of us, and, and I get the messages. I get people who say innocent until proven guilty. I, to me, that just sounds like defending him. And I'm not saying he's innocent or guilty. And that's for none of us to decide. And none of us will ever be able to, I just choose not to cheer for him. And it's, it's that easy for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Uh, you know, and obviously you and I we have we have our small little our own platforms where we pick and choose what we want to talk about, what we want to discuss and uh yeah, I think that's rightfully so. There's plenty of other players and things to, you know, that are, you know, that you can choose to talk about and yeah, I'm with it. It it's just really it's unfortunate. It's, you know, a really 
a very tricky situation because we don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's a trial in Germany. A lot of us are, especially myself, unfamiliar with the judicial system there and how that all works. So it's going to take a little bit of, you know, research and understanding of that whole process. But um, yeah, just that coupled with even even before the allegations came out, I think Zverev kind of developed a track record just as a player on tour where it's just like somebody that I never, you know, it's kind of like I not my guy, basically, you know, mm-hmm. like then, you know, we see the thing where he's cracking the racket against the umpire chair, almost hitting the umpire, not good, and kind of just yeah. arrogant and stuff in interviews and n- not somebody that I, with or without the allegations, I'm just kind of out on him. And I mean, Same. he's a great player, fantastic Incredible. talent. I mean, yeah. I was looking at, I didn't realize he had, he had found so much success <laughs> in his career, like Masters 1000s, ATP finals, you know, just going through the documentary and I was like, gold medal. Okay. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's, re- he was really set to be one of the, the stars of tennis, one of the darlings, kind of like, I don't want to say how we look at Carlos now, but there was a period of time where we saw the talent and we were like, wow, what, what can he be? Yeah. And, um, it seems like he's kind of fulfilling that at the moment. Um, but there's just a big, a big stain on all of this. And, um, yeah. it's just awkward. It is. Yeah. It's awkward. Um, it's the reason like you mentioned that, uh, he's been asked that other players, this tournament have been asked about his role on the ATP player council, um, just to elaborate on what the ATP Player Council is, I did a little bit of research on it. Um, I did want to talk to a few players on the tour just so that I understood the process. But essentially, my understanding of it is, and correct me if I'm wrong or if you've heard otherwise, but the Player Council is a group that's voted on and appointed by um, their peers. It's a two-year term. Um, they have players that represent specific, uh, singles, doubles and rankings. So he's one of, I believe three people that is representing, uh, singles players ranked one through 50. And I think that's just to make sure that everybody is accounted for and has an opinion in the player council. Um, they preside over changes and policies that the ATP puts in place. Um, and then they're able to give their input on that. And the reason that I talk about that is because if the ATP is discussing a domestic violence policy and whether or not to put forth rules and regulations for what uh, punishment or suspensions would be for players that are going through that, Sarah is going to be one of the people who get to make that decision and gets to talk to the ATP and have a say in that. He's in a leadership role representing players. And when the reporter asked that question and, and, you know, we talked about this briefly off the air. Um, I think it's a valid question. The reporter asks, do you think it's appropriate for you to be in a leadership role in the ATP player council, given the allegations? And his response was so smug and so combative. It, you know, it, it was not a good look the way that he responded. He completely missed the opportunity to say that he believes that the trial would prove his innocence. He completely missed the opportunity to discuss how seriously he takes the allegations or speak to um, domestic violence situations and how he could completely understand why somebody would, would, would um, you know, take issue with that and a player being on the player council, but he could have had an opportunity there to maintain his innocence and, and speak out against domestic violence. And he didn't. Instead, he decided to be very smug about it, very combative. Um, and basically just, you know, criticize the media reporter for even asking that question. And I thought it was a, a valid question. And if you want my opinion, um, I don't think it's appropriate. It's I don't think it's appropriate that Netflix wrote uh, made an article or uh, wrote an episode with him being the main character and this knight in shining armor. I don't think that's appropriate either. It's very easy for the ATP to say, you know what, while you're going through this, we don't think it's a good idea for you to be on the player council or Netflix. Hey, and we know that they're in communication. The ATP has worked with Netflix on making this show and giving them the access the ATP could say, hey, maybe not this guy right now. <laughs> that's yeah. that's it. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he should be off the tour or anything like that necessarily. There are people who think that. 
it's just not, it just doesn't feel good. It's weird. It's not right. It's uncomfortable. Like you said, and that's really, that's the word for it. It's, it's uncomfortable. And we're kind of, you know, we're forced to talk about it here because, you know, semifinal is going to be on, um, and we talk tennis. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it is kind of wild that like, yeah, he's in a leadership position and that it's just being actively promoted. And it's just like, just take a pause on it until we figure yes. out exactly what's what he's, you know, in his mid twenties, it's not like, Oh, we need to capture this right now. Like if everything ends up all clear and it's all good, he's, you're going to still have probably another six to eight years of promoting him or more. Um, it, it just seems like, and I don't know, maybe this is more of a systematic thing. It just seems like ATP sponsors, Netflix, not concerned. Just seems like they're just, you know, not to say that they don't care, but it just seems like, oh, he says it's fine, so everything seems like it's fine. We're just going to go business as usual. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Not sure what that's about. If I mean, obviously, great player, ton of accolades, but as you said, there's many other players to push and promote, many other stories that are out there. What what are we doing? Like, it, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's not, not fun. Um, I don't, I don't enjoy having to completely avoid matches. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't, Um, I'm not passing any judgment on the guy either. I'm I'm really not. I mean, I have my personal judgment about some of his conduct on the court and, um, you know, I also have a judgment on the players that I'd like to watch just based on playing style. He is an incredible tennis player, but um, yeah, just not interested right now. Like, uh, yeah. you know, come back to me when that's not there. And, right. um, you know, a couple uh, conversations that I have with people, you know, they'll, they'll message me anytime I, I, I have talked about this or I've tried to put stories out there so people can do their own reading. You get the innocent until, until proven guilty, right? Sure. Yeah, I agree. Of course. Um, but again, that doesn't mean I can cheer for him in good conscience. And I think it's weird if you do, I do just straight up. I think it's weird if you do nobody that's listening to this podcast has to agree to me. There might be some people who never come back to our, our podcast after this. That's fine too. Um, you know, we can disagree on this. (laughs) If you agree, leave a comment. If you disagree, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, and we're not, and we're not even talking about this to like get a rise out of anybody. Like, I just think it's important to talk about and I'm glad that people are starting. I think this, this, the next few days are going to be very interesting to see how the media handles this. How does social media accounts handle this? Um, I don't think you're going to be able to avoid the conversation. And for the people, the other most common um, response that I get is the, you know, stick to sports conversation. This is about sports. Um, This is about a player who is looked up to by young athletes around the world. Um, this is about sports washing and about how much are you willing to look the other way just because something makes you uncomfortable to talk about. Um, you know, I listened to a really great podcast in the run up to, uh, the last world cup. Um, I wish that I could think of the name right now. Uh, but they dove into this very conversation, which was, um, talking about, uh, Qatar and some of the humanitarian issues and, but needing to reconcile that in your mind with your love for sport and your love for your country and want and your love for the world cup and wanting to support that. Um, it makes it, it makes it a really tricky conversation, um, internal conversation even. Um, but this is about sports. This is, this is net. What Netflix has done is sports washing completely, uh, uh, choosing to omit a piece of a, particular person's story. Um, and you know, this is also somebody who, uh, has potentially, uh, been physically abusive towards their ex-girlfriend. Uh, it's just not something that I, that sits well with me, obviously. Um, and this person has a leadership role, a leadership oh. role on the tour. Not okay. Just not, not okay. Not, not at least until we see this oh, no. through and we, um, you know, they, they have their trial, but as long as that's, as long as that's hanging over the head of Zverev, uh, pass. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we won't have to wait too long. It's gonna, I think the, the trial dates are set right around the same time. I think it's the first week of the French open. 
um, which is actually one of the questions he was asked in a in a presser post match. I think after his five set win against Klein, I believe. And his response was also not good. He was like, mm-hmm. oh, really? You're going to ask me that question after playing five sets? I don't know. We'll see when I get there. And yeah, so uh, won't have to wait that long. See how it goes when we get there. Um, yeah, just not a lot about this makes sense. And I mean, like the rest of the world, kind of what you mentioned with the World Cup, not a lot about that made made sense either where it's just like okay i guess i guess this is what we're doing and everyone's just going along with it um we'll see i mean part of it and if there's more you want to speak on this please do so but this kind of leads into um the beef uh this (laughs) goes kind of deep um i was reading a thing where medvedev's wife um was friends with his first accuser. They kind of all grew up together. They all trained together in juniors. And there was a, a circumstance where in the final of, uh, I want to say it was Paris or an indoor tournament, because I remember I, I went back and rewatched it, mm-hmm. and Zverev kind of shouted out Medvedev's wife and said, you know, kind of when they go in the box and say, hey, you know, congratulations to your coaches. Oh, you know, Dasha, you know, we've been friends for a very long time, blah, blah, blah. And um, after Monte Carlo, when uh, Zverev came out and basically called out Danil for, you know, not fair play or whatever, Danil made, he said a lot of things, um, Mm -hmm. but he made a point of saying, you know what, in his post-match interviews, he says a lot of crazy things. He says stuff about me and my wife, how we're long friends. We're not his friends. Then that we haven't really been close with him since juniors. And he kind of went out of his way to distance himself from that. Um, you know, unfollowed him on Instagram, all of this kind of little things, but still, so the beef goes that far back, basically, where, um, you know, it's kind of involved with these accusations in a small way. So, um, it, going back to how you started the episode, is this a compelling (laughs) matchup? Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. It definitely is. Yeah, I'm like, I'm I'm sweating in here. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's... um... It's gonna be I, that that post match interview after Monte Carlo too. There were there was a couple other zingers from there. Um, oh, I've got it. Have yeah, didn't it? he say? Did, well, didn't he also say? You know, you're gonna say okay. that I'm you know I'm unfair or do things on the court or whatever. And then he said, you know, maybe he should look in the mirror or something like that. Dude, right? I've got I've got it on a tab right here. I can I can read it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's so funny, dude. We're on the same page like yeah. often. So um, I'll start just direct quote here. So Medvedev says, yeah, first, I do think that honestly, with probably 90 players on the tour, I'm great friends. With maybe 50, it's not like best friends, but really great relationship. So I usually feel bad when something on court happens. And let's say I'm not fair play because I know sometimes I'm not. By the way, self-awareness. Love love to see that. That's kind of what we spoke on earlier. Uh, Okay, then continuing. Yesterday, what the thing with the stick made him say this? Toilet? Well, I wanted to pee. What did he want me to do? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and let's take it, yeah, and let's take it step by step. And this is what you pointed out with the editing. Continuing with the quote. So two all, no, three two, I have like five break points or whatever. He manages to hold congrats. Then I make the game. It's so good. Still salty. Yeah. Then I make the game 40 love for me. I go to the toilet. I lose the next two games. He's serving for the match and he's saying, I'm going to the toilet to make him play worse. It had nothing to do. Like kind of like what you said. Yeah. Continuing the quote, Sasha's living in his own world. I have already had like five players in the locker room coming to me and saying, come on, Danil, why are you so unfair? Smiling. Yeah, Sasha, when he loses, we can find maybe 25 interviews of him saying, where does he say these strange things? Uh, And then he kind of goes on to say, like, he's had issues with, like, you know, other players like Diego, nice guys. It goes into this Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then he finishes with, Sasha's not that guy. Sasha is not like Casper. He's not like Diego. He's not like Andre. When he says someone is not fair play, you're like, okay, great. Look at yourself in the mirror. End quote. That's yeah. um yeah, he went in and, and that felt like something where it was like 
Medvedev was just waiting. <laughs> he had he had all of this ready to go. Zverev speaks, and it's like, okay, let's let's talk. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know people have their issues with Medvedev. Um, he he's he's had his moments on the court, but if you ha- if you know you had to ask me who is being the most genuine version of themselves when they're speaking. How can you listen to Daniil and not think this guy is just, this is, you know, this is, this is Daniil and there's nothing, he's not um, dressing any of this up in any way um, to, to spin a narrative. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to um, be good. Go, go Medvedev for both of us. If they haven't made that abundantly clear in this episode, we are both going to be pulling very hard for Medvedev. Yeah. Um, I guess to wrap up this very heady, heavy <laughs> episode, um, we're excited for both matches. Uh, but if we had to power rank, like we did in the last episode, from one to four, who we'd like to see win the entire tournament and why, how would you rank it starting with number one? Okay, and thank you for allowing me to go first again. Because, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, if we end up having the same picks, that would be funny. Um, yeah. Number one. I'm going Sinner gets his first Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. Love to see it. Just to enter, basically enter the chat. I'm here. I've arrived. We've seen over the years dozens of fantastic talents, Zverev included, where it's like, all right, this guy's good. Can he win a slam? And it's just perpetually just stopped by Novak, Rafa. Medvedev was able to get one sneak in there, which was a really great thing to see. Obviously, Carlos made his push and has kind of, you know, broken through that barrier, I would say. Um, would be cool for Sinner to kind of enter that same conversation and just kind of put a cap on, like, every year he's gotten incrementally better. Um, so that's one. Two, Novak, Golden Slam. Would love to be able to see that in my lifetime. Uh, I missed the last one, so uh, I, I really thought we were going to see it the last time around, but... Uh, didn't get to see it. So two, Novak. Three, Medvedev, of course. Um, why not? He's kind of like one of my favorite players on tour. I have a whole story about why this is up here, by the way. I'm not com- a complete Medvedev homer. There's a lot of stuff that he does that I'm not crazy about. But um, yeah, like Medvedev. And then last, of course, I, I don't want to see Zverev win a slam. Sorry. Not, yeah. not into that. Yeah. <laughs> see. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you got? All right. Well, mine's going to be different. Um, I actually think I put Medvedev one and it's not just because heat of the moment. This is what we've been talking about. He's been in the final there twice. Um, He has lost to uh, Djokovic. I think there's a strong chance that we see Djokovic in the final. And I think it'd be cool to get to see Medvedev get one on him. Um, I'm all for historic moments. I think Djokovic has established himself as statistically the greatest player in the history of tennis. Uh, I don't know that a Golden Slam does anything more for that conversation other than accolades for himself and adds to the the lore of Djokovic. So I don't need that. I want the younger generation of players to uh, start taking little bites out of the out of the cake here, and um, I think that's what also is getting younger fans into tennis. I'm going to go Medvedev one. Nice. I'm going to go Sinner two. Um. He's got a lot more time, too. I mean, Medvedev is, I think, 20, 26, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So so Sinner's got a little bit more time. I still think this is, um, you know, one of his best results, and he's got a lot to be happy about. And if he makes the final, you know, that'd be his first final. That would in itself be um, a success. So Medvedev one, Sinner two, Djokovic three. Zverev's not on my list. No, I'm just kidding. Zverev four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the easiest pick. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what? You make a good point is I, I feel like with, with Medvedev, there's, there's a window and I mean, don't know how, how long that window is, but we're, we're in it right now. There was, yeah. there was a time where post us open, he, he makes number one in the world and there was like a pretty big dip. I think that loss to Rafa at the AO really, you know, had a profound effect on him. Uh, and there was some questions of like, wow, well, you know, he's out of the top 10. Well, is he ever going to make it back? And he answered that with one of the best starts to a season maybe ever last year. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so yeah, it's good to see him, you know, back on top. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, and he's, he's better than a one grand slam player to me. I know he's lived in an era and and played in an era with, um, the tail end of Nadal's career and, and, you know, obviously Djokovic being Djokovic, but he's better. He's to me, he's better than a one grand slam player. Um, the other surface that I think he could really do that on is here. Uh, he's got his U.S. Open title. Um, I'd like to see him get the Australian Open titles. I think he probably would. I don't know. I'm sure maybe he has another opinion about this. But I think if he won two slams and he had Australian Open and the U.S. Open, he'd feel really good about his career. So, um, For sure. Yeah. Medvedev's my pick. For sure. And uh, just answered. Nobody's asked, but why I felt compelled to purchase that and put it up in my home is there is a period of time where I, I I've always followed tennis, but I I can't say I've always followed like as closely as I do now, of course. And like even pre Instagram or pre balanced tennis, I, I would follow. Um, but this run really brought me back into the fold, and really even before that, Medvedev was a character that I was like I I need to keep track of this guy because there was the instance of. You know, him and Stefanos on an outside court in Miami of like, man, you better shut your fuck up, okay? Like that, yeah. that <laughs> yeah. really, I, I heard that <laughs> on sports talk radio. That was a crazy thing. I was just listening to local sports talk radio and that came up and I was like, who? Like, and so I started kind of digging in and I was like, just watch the way he played. I was like, none of it makes any sense. How does that yeah. work? What's he doing with this grip? And then he has this run at the U.S. Open, and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm back in. I need to start watching week in, week out, get to know these characters, get to know these guys. And just that whole situation of the U.S. Open of whole crowds against him. He just keeps winning, keeps winning, makes the final against Rafa. It looks like, you know, just another final where Rafa just crushes someone, comes back, takes it to a fifth set, and by by the end, you know, kind of has the crowd in his favor. It, it really, and I know this is, kind of random because he's Russian, but like, do you remember Rocky four where he goes and yeah. trains and fights yeah. Drago in Russia? That, I'm course, pretty sure yeah. that's Rocky four. Then at the end, you know, like Rocky has the mic and he's like, if I can change and you can change, we can all change like that whole thing. <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. Cause it, he, you know, Medvedev was just kind of, you know, shooting off the hip and saying, you know, I didn't know what I would say if I would win, you know, what are you guys going to do? And the crowd was cheering him, supporting him. So that was a really cool moment. Just, Personally, for me, of like, wow, okay, you know what? Like, I need to f- start following the tour week in, week out. And then the next year, I start balance tennis, and this whole thing kind of ensues from there. But this is mainly why. Do I agree with a lot of the sort of gamesmanship that he does? Like, no. I mean, he gets away with whatever he can. A lot of players do this. But just a, a, a personality and a character that I, I really, really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And just... To describe it, that's Medvedev holding up his middle finger next to his head, uh, you know, casually to the U.S. Open fans. For for those listening who can't see the picture behind Tony. Oh, um, that's right. Not everyone yeah. can see this. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, sorry if I interrupted you here. Yeah, the picture is from twenty nineteen third round against Feliciano Lopez. Uh, crowd goes against him. Medvedev's just very subtly kind of putting a middle finger to his temple as he walks on a changeover and just kind of like, you know, very subtly kind of putting it out there forever, which he has a tendency to do. He did this, what was it, in Paris last year where he kind of did the middle finger thing. It was like, oh, I was just kind of checking my fingernails. Yeah. Um, just a, a very different type of personality in tennis that, like I said, not always the best behavior, but gets away with what he can. Is very self-aware about all of this. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize a lot of people can't even see us. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. Our hat talk. We got to describe our hats. Oh, well, we kind of (laughs) did. Yeah, it's all good. Right. Well, we really got into it with that one. Um, sure did. Wrapping up 
part two here of the semifinal conversation. Uh, we're going to be back again in a couple days to talk about the outcome of the semifinals and talk about the matchup for the finals. So, um, Tony, I don't have anything else to you. Sorry, you cut out. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I just heard we're going to come back in a couple days. That's the last I heard. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Boom. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. We'll, you know, check out the semis, which are about to happen. And then, you know, obviously the semis tomorrow. But, yeah. Um, good episode. Hopefully, you know, we didn't ruffle too many feathers. I feel like very sensible takes. Um, if you disagree, it's fine. Sorry. But, um, yeah. I mean, needed to be said, needed to be acknowledged. We actually were going to do this earlier, but kind of wanted to wait on it. And I'm kind of glad that it's out there. Yeah, same. Time feels right with the match that we have coming up. It just makes sense. And I I hope, I, you know, I hope other people go back and watch that Breakpoint episode and, um, yeah, do some of the reading yourself into the allegations. I mean, they're not, um, they're, they're pretty substantial, you know, <laughs> so um, they're yeah. out there. They're, they're available for people to read. And, um, yeah, n- neither one of us are sitting here saying that you should agree with us. That's, that's fine if you don't. Um, but uh, may the best man win tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, my God. That's oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'll leave it in. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. See ya. Thank you.